Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. It's been 3,289 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 370 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Report is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Commands North, South, and East of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. So I learned a new word today, bezorizhia, which means roadlessness in Ukrainian and essentially is the same thing as rasputitsa is in Russian, which is the season of the year when unpaved roads become essentially impossible to use because of the mud. So from here on out, we'll be referring to mud season in Ukraine as bezorizhia. Let's go ahead and get started with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that the Russian Federation armed forces are combat ineffective and are only capable of effective attacks on a small area of the front, such as Bakhmut. Second, we assess that Russia has committed almost all available ground forces to Ukraine and cannot maintain the current level of personnel and equipment losses. Third, Renewed infighting on social media between private military company or PMC Wagner Group's leader Yevgeny Prigozhin and the Russian Ministry of Defense verifies our assessment that unrest is fomenting. There is a very small but notable chance that the ongoing provocations could spark Russian-on-Russian violence. Fourth, we maintain that the Russian Ministry of Defense is actively working to eliminate the influence of PMC Wagner Group and Yevgeny Prigozhin both on and off the battlefield. Fifth, we assess that Russia can no longer tap its strategic reserve of caliber cruise missiles and can only launch its monthly production of 25 to 30 missiles. Sixth, we are unsure that Russia's failed campaign targeting electrical, heating, and potable water infrastructure will continue, with significant frustration expressed by Russian mill bloggers that the campaign has ended with no appreciable impact on Ukrainian morale, logistics, or war production. Seventh, we maintain that there is a risk of a nuclear accident caused by the de-energization of Ukrainian nuclear power plants as a result of Russian electrical infrastructure destruction. And finally, we assess that the rhetoric being spread by the Kremlin and its proxies in the social media space claiming that Ukraine is preparing an unprovoked and unjustified invasion of Transnistria, is untrue. Let's get some regional updates, starting with Kharkiv. 
there were no reports of significant fighting in Kharkiv. The Russian Ministry of Defense, or MOD, reported their forces shelled Khryanikivka, Masyutivka, Liman Pershi, and Sinkivka. So we'll move right along to the Donbass region in Luhansk. Luhansk Oblast Administrative and Military Governor Serhi Haidai said that more T-90 tanks had arrived in Luhansk and Russian reserves were deployed. He added that the biggest threat comes from their numbers, not their combat capabilities. In the Svatova operational direction, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Russian troops attacked Novoselivske and Stelmachivka without success. The Russian MOD only reported that their troops launched artillery strikes on Novoselivske. In the Kremina operational area, Russian troops tried to advance on Makievka from Ploshanka with no change in the situation. An attack in the direction of Nevsky was repulsed, and Russian forces continued their attempts to improve their positions in Chervonopopivka without success. Fighting continued in the forested regions around Kremina, including southwest of the settlement near Dibrova. Russian millblogger Alexander Kotz shared on Telegram that Russian VDV forces were provided with a consumer-grade Venex OKO LRF thermal rangefinder after crowdsourcing 280,000 rubles. Some assessment here. The debate on corruption versus preparation for an extended war versus the impact of sanctions is pedantic. Regular Russian citizens must rely on unaffiliated Russian state media journalists to escalate the needs of Russia's most elite forces in a critical operational area for equipment the Russian MOD should provide. The Kremlin created a committee in December 2022 that vowed they would listen to the complaints of ordinary soldiers so their needs would be met on the battlefield. The Kremlin lived up to our dim assessment that the working group was only created to silence online critics that Moscow was not listening to the problems frontline troops report. In the Lysychansk operational area, Russian forces attacked Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, for the billionth time and were once again unsuccessful. Okay, obviously I'm rounding up, but Russian forces have attacked Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, a lot. In northeast Donetsk, in the Siversk operational area, Ukrainian and Russian sources reported continued attacks by the 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, on Spirna. Russian forces launched an attack out of Berestova, suffered losses, and returned to their defensive positions, while another squad or platoon-sized Russian unit attempted to advance on Vyamka along the railroad tracks. In the Bakhmut operational area, the situation for Ukrainian forces on the city's northern edge is reaching a critical state. Reuters reporter Jan Dobronosov was in Bakhmut, which is a strong sign that the situation remains stable enough to issue press passes and that Ukrainian forces don't have an imminent plan to withdraw. Ukrainian vehicles trying to move off-road are getting mired in mud, with Russian and Ukrainian troops in water-filled trenches. PMC Wagner made a weak attempt to advance on Orechovo-Vasilivka, with Ukrainian forces holding their defensive positions. Dubovo-Vasilivka was attacked by PMC Wagner from the north and east, with no change to the line of conflict. Near Berkhivka, 
were skeptical that the Berkhivsky Reservoir Dam was destroyed unless the basin was already low. PMC Wagner advanced through the floodplain immediately downstream from the dam toward Botonivka, driving a wider wedge between Berkhivka and Yahidne. PMC Wagner claimed they captured the Stupki microdistrict in northern Bakhmut and shared a picture of the T-513 and M-3, or E-40, highway interchange on the southern outskirts of Paraskovivka. We already had the microdistrict and the highway junction coded under Russian control for over a week. Serbian war reporter Venker Yaram reported from the recently, quote, captured Supki microdistrict, where he came under heavy machine gun fire and had to take cover. Some assessment here. As in Solidar, PMC Wagner is trying to control the narrative of battlefield success before an objective is fully achieved. An area under military control could expect snipers, artillery or mortar fire or airstrikes. Machine gun fire between combatants, however, does not indicate military control. Our assessment is admittedly pedantic, as we had this area mapped as under Russian control before the claim. In Bakhmut, Russian troops supported by PMC Wagner reportedly reached the meat processing plant, but had not moved west of the complex, with heavy fighting ongoing. No pictures or videos supported the claim, but it came from multiple Ukrainian and Russian sources. We moved the line of conflict one block east of the factory based on the reports that Russian forces had reached the eastern edge of the plant, but not crossed into it. PMC Wagner's social media channels reiterated that Ukrainian forces are not surrounded, their ground lines of communication, called GLOCs, those are supply lines, are not cut, and Ukrainian troops are not withdrawing. They reported that Ukrainians were fighting for every house and street and expressed concern that the Azom multi-level industrial complex would be difficult to capture, calling it a potential Azovstal. Our favorite FSB colonel, convicted war criminal, Kremlin pariah and failed Mobik, Igor Strelkov-Girkin, was unimpressed with Russian progress, writing, quote, The assault on the Bakhmut-Solidar operational area by Wagner forces, gradually narrowing to a point, has been going on for almost two months. It was supplemented by the disastrous and very bloody assaults on Avdiivka and Vulkhidar, which had no other results for the Russian Federation armed forces except for losses. But, I have to remind you once again, even the complete mastery of Bakhmut, from a strategic point of view, will give absolutely nothing, emphasis Gherkins. The enemy, he means Ukraine, front, will not be broken through and will have reserves to restore the front line, while the offensive potential of PMC Wagner will be exhausted. Equally, the ammunition stocks spent on the useless assault on this mini-Verdun will be exhausted, and the enemy, again, he means Ukraine, following the logic, should strike at the moment when the Russian strike units will be most unprepared to repel a counterattack. And this does not have to be a large-scale counteroffensive. The enemy is quite capable of inflicting a strong, short blow on a vulnerable sector of the front right now. End quote. In the Kostyantonivka operational direction, Fighting continued near Ivanivske, with both Russian and Ukrainian sources claiming some success. Based on the lack of visual evidence and conflicting information, we did not change the map. Mercenary mill blogger Wargonzo claimed that Ukrainian forces launched a counterattack in the direction of Klishayivka and had some success. 
There were no supporting claims, pictures, or videos, so the map remains unchanged. In the Toretsk, New York operational area, the 1st Army Corps continued attacks on the eastern edge of Pivnichne with no success. In southwest Donetsk, it remained very active in the Avdiivka operational area. The 1st Army Corps continued sustained attacks on Kamyanka, attempting to cross the H-20 highway without success. Russian forces made another attempt to advance on Avdiivka, also without success. Russian forces continued efforts to advance north and west from Vodyana and attempted to flank Pervomaisky from the north. A video showed a single drone-delivered hand grenade rendered a Russian mechanized infantry squad combat-destroyed. The graphic video showed a Russian infantry fighting vehicle stopping to pick up troops, with two needing assistance. The rear doors open and the entire squad exits the IFV. The drone releases a hand grenade that lands in the middle of the Russian troops. Inexplicably, no one reacts before the grenade explodes, incapacitating the entire squad. The video is not suitable for work and some may find it disturbing, but as with most of the photos and videos we reference, we do link to it in our full situation report on Patreon. The 1st Army Corps continued its attempts to advance on the Ukrainian firebase at Nevelskay without any success at all. In the Marinka operational area, the 1st Army Corps continued to attack Ukrainian positions near Krasnohorivka and remained unable to advance. Fighting continued in Marinka, with mercenary mill blogger Rybar now reporting that Russian troops captured new positions south of the settlement. The claim was not supported by any other reliable or semi-reliable source. Pictures, or it did not happen. In the Bukhidar operational area, fighting continued. Novomikhailivka again? Yes. Any changes? No. Fighting continued south of Bukhidar in the Mikhilsk Dachas, according to Wargonzo. The GSAFU reported two Russian attempts to advance on Bukhidar were unsuccessful. Alexander Granev, former fighter airplane and test pilot for the Soviet Union and Russian Federation, hero of the Russian Federation and outspoken Putin critic, reported from Wulhidar, quote, Many battle brothers died today. Not everyone managed to equip them as they should. Not everyone managed to give what they needed before the battle. Not everyone got a chance, due to technical superiority over the enemy, to get a chance to live in a difficult battle. End quote. Two videos showed Russia losing one main battle tank, two BMP-3 and one BMP-2 infantry fighting vehicles. The BMP-2 IFV was destroyed in a Russian armored vehicle graveyard, and after the first blast, it drove over a landmine, then continued to roll forward before being consumed by flames. Insurgents in Mariupol reported that another wave of Mobics arrived in Yalta, southwest of Mariupol, for final training before being deployed to the Bukhidar operational area. The acting self-declared leader of the self-identified Donetsk People's Republic, Denis Pushilin, told people of the DNR that coal mining and steel production would never return to pre-2014 levels in the Donbass. Instead, he predicts that within 12 years, more GDP will be created by commercial fishing in the Azov Sea. The region is a rich fishery, but during the Soviet era collapsed due to intense overfishing. 
Kushelin previously announced that the Azovstal metallurgical plant would never be rebuilt and a, quote, technology park would take its place. Moving on to Zaporizhia. There was no update on the status of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, nor the contingent of International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, inspectors, who have still not been permitted to leave. In the Black Sea, Crimea, Mykolaiv, and Odessa region, Operational Command South, or OCS, reported six Black Sea Fleet vessels on patrol in the morning, with one Kilo-class submarine capable of launching four caliber cruise missiles, increasing to 12 ships and two Kilo-class submarines capable of launching eight caliber cruise missiles in the evening. In Russian-occupied Crimea, a ban was announced on taking close-up pictures of vehicles and taking videos or pictures of bridges, tunnels, railroad tracks, communication systems, or traffic controls, and being, quote, near railroad tracks. Despite all the fortifications on the beaches, terrorism warnings, and air defenses activating, Crimean officials are hopeful that hotel occupancy in 2023 will improve to 50%. Good luck with that. In western and central Ukraine in Kherson, Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery strikes across the Dnipro River. Russian forces carried out a record-setting 119 fire missions, 18 on the city of Kherson, wounding three people. The Kherson thermal plant steam line was repaired after being severed in an attack last week, cutting off heat and hot water to thousands. Service was being restored across the city. Russian-occupied Novokokhovka and Holopristan were shelled, with a large fire visible from the west bank of the Dnipro. In Dnipropetrovsk, Nikopol and Marchanets were struck by over 40 artillery shells in five barrages throughout the day. Twelve homes were damaged, and a gas pipeline was broken, but there were no injuries. In Khmelnytsky, a second firefighter died of their injuries after Russian forces used a so-called double-tap strike on February 26th. Responding to an explosion and fire from a Shahed-136 drone strike, a second one struck the same area several minutes later, timed to strike after rescuers arrived to maximize casualties. Three more firefighters were wounded. In north and northeast Ukraine, in Sumy, the Hromadas of Bilopilia, Shalachin, Novosloboda, Krasnopilia, Seredina Buda, and Khluchiv were hit by a total of 86 artillery shells and mortars fired from across the Russian border. A mortar shell damaged a residential building in the village of Porochon. On the Russian front, the villages of Suzemka in Bryansk, Popovolizachi and Tietkino in Kursk, and Stari Hutor in Bielgorod were shelled. Power was knocked out in Popovolizachi and Tietkino. Pictures and videos recorded three reconnaissance drones flying over Bielgorod, which air defenses shot down. There were no injuries, but buildings and cars were damaged by falling anti-aircraft missile debris and bits of drones. Some local residents and Russian mill bloggers were unimpressed, suggesting that the drones may not have been Ukrainian. The defense lines Wagner built along the Bilgorod Oblast-Ukrainian border cost Russian taxpayers 10 billion rubles, involving 4,200 workers and 680 pieces of heavy equipment. 
While the quality of the fortifications has not been tested against Ukrainian troops or armor, our favorite FSB Colonel Girkin pointed out that the, quote, Valley of the Pyramids has been unable to stop artillery shells and drones. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers and analysts is funded by readers, listeners and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The chief of the main directorate of intelligence of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or GUR, Kirillo Budnov, provided an extensive update on the situation in Ukraine. Budnov claimed the war was supposed to start in late 2021, and the decision to invade didn't come until February 23, 2022. He claimed that most of Russia's elite units were combat-destroyed, and there were no indications of plans to attack Kyiv. Budinov believes that China will not provide military assistance to Russia. He appealed for F-16 fighter planes and A-10 Thunderbolt ground attack aircraft, and closed by saying the next three months would be very active and determine the, quote, further course of events, end quote. Some assessment here. We agree with almost all of Budinov's assessments. And while our chief content officer is a huge fan of the A-10 Thunderbolt, it requires air superiority to operate effectively. Russian sources circulated a video showing a Romanian M142 guided multiple launch rocket system or GMLRS HIMARS launcher and several mobile anti-aircraft systems allegedly being sent to the Moldovan border. It is not true. The video is from a December 2022 parade. Wazun Antoi, MP of the ruling party of Moldova, Action and Solidarity, believes that Ukraine has the right to consider a military scenario in Transnistria, but will not do that, saying, quote, Ukraine is annoyed that it has to keep military units in this region. Ukraine has every right to consider, in particular, the military scenario of preventing an attack from the territory of Moldova, end quote. But Nantoy did not believe that Ukraine would launch an unprovoked offensive. He explained, quote, I want to point out that Ukraine and Moldova are in a frank, constructive dialogue. Moldova's official position on the Transnistrian conflict is that it is not a conflict that needs to be resolved by military means. End quote. Bulgaria is resuming production of Soviet Russian standard 122mm artillery shells, reopening a manufacturing plant that closed in 1988. Speaking of Soviet standard, let's talk about the Russian military and mobilization. A video on Russian telegram channels allegedly showed Deputy Commander-in-Chief of the Ground Forces of the Russian Federation, Alexander Matovnikov, the senior operational leader of the Ground Forces of Russian Forces in Belarus, dancing wearing only a bath towel, intermittently exposing himself. We're not sharing the video because we'll lose our PG-13 rating but it isn't hard to find. I mean, you won't have difficulty locating the video. Some in Russian circles are saying it's a deep fake, a look-alike, or a setup as part of the ongoing, very public fight between PMC Wagner and the Russian Ministry of Defense. 
Mobics from the 352nd Motor Rifle Regiment were told their unit had been dissolved and they were being transferred to the DNR. They made a video appeal to Yevgeny Prigozhin to join PMC Wagner instead of becoming shock troops for the 1st Army Corps, which seems to be integrated into the Russian Federation Armed Forces when it suits the Kremlin. It is the first open insurrection of a Russian military unit expressing their desire to leave the Russian military to join Prigozhin's PMC. Oleksiy Dmitrashkivsky, a spokesperson for the Joint Press Office of the Ukrainian Armed Forces, said, quote, a new unit has arrived, end quote, on the Vukhodar front. The 136th Brigade had previously been deployed in the war against Chechnya. Dmitrashkivsky reported that the unit would be deployed on March 5th to the front lines of the Vukhodar front. Mobics from Serpukhov in the Moscow Federal District were rioting and refused to continue to fight. The poorly equipped unit in a melange of uniforms stood in the mud and made the same claims as other refuseniks. They were told they would not engage in direct fighting, had their unit dissolved, and were being moved to the infantry. PMC Wagner shared a post calling out journalists, mill bloggers, and social media influencers claiming the Ukrainian military is weak, ill-trained, and near collapse. A quick content warning, the statement uses a homophobic slur commonly used in Russia. Quote, In the second year of the war, many do not understand anything and continue to shoot stories or documentaries about how the Ukrainians do not want to fight, how weak they are, and how NATO equipment does not work at all in winter. The equipment is generally bad and will not solve anything. After two to three weeks, the front will crumble and the Ukrainians will evaporate. Everyone involved in the war knows you are either fools or saboteurs. Instead of supporting our soldiers in the most difficult war, giving them an incentive, meaning, instead of uniting our people in the face of an impending threat, you create the appearance that everything is fine and the armed forces of Ukraine are underdeveloped savages and NATO is a dumb, weak bunch of fats. Dear media and TV channels, are you sure you want to underestimate the enemy? he means Ukraine, and continue the grave mistakes at the front due to your help, end quote. On the same day PMC Wagner shared that, they ironically claimed that German Leopard 2 tanks were already in Chasivyar. Less than a day later, they started circulating pictures of what they claimed was the first destroyed Leopard in Ukraine. Just a few tiny problems, though. The tank is Turkish, and the pictures are from Syria circa 2018. Don't say everything is fine or that NATO equipment is junk. Here's a picture of this junk NATO equipment that we claim we destroyed in Ukraine. It's totally consistent messaging. Insurgents in Mariupol claimed that M1939, 52K, 85mm anti-aircraft guns were deployed along the coastal areas of Mariupol. The 52K was developed in 1939 and built through 1945. While we have visual confirmation of other ancient systems, like the T-62 medium-duty tank, BTR-50 armored personnel carrier, and D-152 millimeter howitzer being deployed, we have some doubts about this claim. Because we're not sure if any remaining sources for stable 85 millimeter ammunition exist. An added assessment, while the flak gun would be ineffective against modern aircraft, HIMARS rockets, and cruise missiles, 
the system would be effective against drones. The self-declared DNR leader Pushilin fired a lot of people. Roman Alexandrovich Bazishin, the now former deputy head of the People's Militia Department of the DNR, was fired in a terse two-sentence letter. Also fired was Alexander Anatolievich Selayev from the post of director of the State Penitentiary Service of the Ministry of Justice, and Zherebchenko Gleb Viktorovich and Belus Roman Yurievich from the posts of deputy prosecutors general. Our favorite FSB Colonel Girkin must have been extra depressed today with his telegram channel and endless stream of doom posting. Quote, Tanks, guns, ammunition, and all other weapons flow in a wide stream to the so-called Ukraine. Attacks to G-locks have not been delivered and are not being delivered. Strikes on the power system have been stopped. Decision-making centers in Kyiv make decisions. They, he means the Russian MOD, have not even tried to encroach on them so far. Meanwhile, the supply of missiles and precision-guided munitions of all kinds over the past year in the Russian Federation has clearly not increased. Problems with ammunition and production of conventional weapons in the Russian Federation are also growing every day. End quote. Quick sidebar, I think we prefer Salty Girkin over Emo Girkin. Documents were leaked showing that the fighting between PMC Wagner and the Kremlin did not stop with the release of ammunition. The documents imply that no such deal was made, and ammunition meant for the 78th Reconnaissance Center of the Main Directorate of the General Staff, Military Unit 35555, was instead diverted to Wagner units. The logistics document claims that Wagner is blamed, quote, not only for using the entire mobilization resource, that means personnel, from the convict population, but also the ammunition resource creating the shell hunger, that means shortages, in the armed forces, end quote. The documents blamed Wagner for the destruction of the 155th Naval Infantry Brigade at Bulgidar because they suffered ammunition shortages. Whether the documents are real and were leaked on purpose, or fakes meant to discredit PMZ Wagner leader Prigozhin, the release has done its job in the information space and further inflamed public opinion. All is going to plan. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Ukrainian forces captured a squad of PMC Wagner mercenaries near Bakhmut, where confusing and intense fighting continued. The video of the capture is likely a couple days old based on weather conditions. Deputy Prime Minister of the Russian Federation, Marat Khusnalin, may have come close to providing a semi-honest assessment of Mariupol's situation. Khusnalin said that the city's central heating system would be repaired by December 31, 2023. He also said it would take three years to restore all public works, water, sewer, electricity, natural gas, and internet, and then Russia would focus on the general repair of buildings. Russian forces are accused of using civilians as human shields in Melitopol, including housing Mobiks at a vocational school in a residential neighborhood, by the central market in the middle of a commercial area, and in schools and kindergartens where students are taught in person in the lower floors. 
Amnesty International has nothing to say about the situation and hasn't released any new reports on human rights abuses in Ukraine since May 2022. In geopolitical news, yesterday, Moscow announced they were taking a pass on China's peace plan for the Ukraine war, declaring there was no interest in pursuing peace. Kremlin spokesperson Dmitry Peskov said, quote, We paid a lot of attention to our Chinese friend's plan. For now, we don't see any of the conditions needed to bring this whole story towards peace. End quote. The Russian foreign ministry told Beijing that any peace deal would require Ukraine to face, quote, new territorial realities, end quote. So Russia is worried about the encroachment of NATO and so wants to claim territory closer to NATO-aligned nations. Yeah, that makes, that makes total sense. There might be some additional motivation. In a series of treaties related to the opium wars, called the Unequal Treaties, China lost one million square kilometers of territory in outer Manchuria, with Russia taking the largest portion, including a significant region of the Pacific Ocean coastline. On February 14, 2023, the Ministry of Natural Resources published updated maps of China, changing the names of eight cities in modern Russia back to their original Chinese names. Chinese state media has started pointing out that China has lost 1.7 million square kilometers of territory to Russia over a series of conflicts and illegal annexations, extending into the 20th century. Moscow did not comment on the new maps. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky met with United States Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen, who visited Kyiv. Zelensky and Yellen discussed cooperation between Ukraine and the International Monetary Fund and rebuilding Ukraine's infrastructure destroyed by Russian aggression, stressing the importance of involving the private sector. Zelensky reiterated the importance of ensuring that Russian assets are seized to be used to rebuild Ukraine. In economic news, Moody's predicted that the recession in Russia, which started in the second quarter of 2022, will continue through 2023, with the economy contracting another 3%. The ruble was holding at an exchange rate of 75 for one U.S. dollar. West Texas Intermediate crude drifted upward toward $77 a barrel, with Brent unchanged at $83. Russian Ural's crude dropped to an official price of $54 a barrel. United States wholesale Arbob gasoline was also unchanged at $2.38 a gallon, or $0.63 cents a liter, on the spot market. Dutch TTF natural gas futures dropped to pre-war prices, with April and May's contracts falling to €48 Euros per megawatt hour. Chicago SRW wheat futures continued its decline, falling to $7.11 a bushel for May 2023 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.